When you walked in the building this morning, you would have noticed, and by the way, if I didn't say it already, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, If you're a guest with us today, we are excited that you're here. When you came in, those of us who are home folk and those who have come today for the first time, there were three words above your head. Did anybody catch what those three words were? You say, what? There were words above my head? Yes, there's writing on the wall in the lobby, in the entry point there. And those three words are really important to the life of our church. Those words are love, impact, and grow. And so uh, we've been in a series, I've been preaching and teaching through a series called Believe for Greater Things, and we've been talking about what that looks like in in our financial world, uh, in every aspect of our life. Today I have a special message that will apply to you, even if you're not currently a part of this church, but you're just checking it out for the first time, because it's all about the principle of scripture and what the church should look like, that God has called us to be a church. How many of you have ever had a bad experience at as a result of someone who claimed to be a Christian. Go ahead, it's okay. We're, in a, <laughs> we're not in a perfect church. Um, we're in a, in a place where all of us are a work in progress, is what we say. So we know that we've had some experiences before that may not have been the best. There have been things done in the name of Christ that really get under my skin because I I just don't think that Jesus ever said to do certain things that way. And so we've had bad experiences. Maybe we've had betrayal. Maybe there's been something that's happened even in your own life very recently, something that may have been what you could consider catastrophic. There there are issues with the church because the church is filled with you. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your toes this morning. It's because of people like me and people like you. We are imperfect people. The Bible calls Jesus the good shepherd. You know what he does as a good shepherd? He watches over the sheep. No, Jesus is not, you know, calling us stupid. He is saying he wants to nurture and care for us. He wants to do like the psalmist said and take us and lead us by still waters. He wants to provide for us. He wants to do what's right by us and we must do right by him. But sometimes sheep bite each other. <laughs> sometimes sheep don't get along. Sometimes sheep bite their shepherd, the, you know, the under shepherd, under the good shepherd. Sometimes bad stuff happens even in the church. And today, whatever that experience may have been, I really don't know, but I can tell you this without any shadow of a doubt. I'm a pastor's kid. The joke is my mom had me in church, but that's not true. She went to the hospital. But I grew up in church, and I have seen my parents in ministry. I've seen them get hurt. I've seen people lie about them who called themselves believers. I've seen mistakes really, really blow up to something much larger than it should be. I've seen people gossip against each other in the church. I've experienced, my my wife and I, we've experienced hardship in ministry as a result of sheep and as a result of us not being perfect sheep. So I'm talking to you today, not down to you. I'm talking with you because I want to bring you to a place where you understand really God's design for his church. I believe with all of my heart that you are not in a perfect church and you are not perfect people. Anywhere you go is not going to be perfect. The joke is, if you do find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. That's what's said. So, and I say that to just put us at ease this morning. And I really just want to take a moment because I don't know what your experience may have been. I don't know your background and your history. I don't know what that experience entailed. I don't know how long it may have taken you to get back to this seat this morning, to where you are. 
But I believe with all of my heart that God's grace is strong in this place today. And that he wants to give us hope so that we as a church can live according to the way he wants us to live. And that's what we're doing. We're giving it our best shot. Amen? Amen. So you may not know why the words are so significant to us if you're joining us today or even if you've been here for a few months but you may not have realized those words really guide, they're the guiding principles of our church. Love, impact, and grow. We expound on them a little bit and say loving all, impacting our world, and growing together. That's really what we believe is important. In 2014, our church started a journey called the Healthy Church Journey. A leadership team was formed, and through that, we started to look at the life cycle of our church. You know your car has a life cycle, right? Some of you are pushing the life cycle, Brother John, with how many miles? 360,000 miles on one of these vehicles out here. I'll let you guess which one it is. But I'm just saying, it is, it's, it's important for us to know that the life cycle can be extended if there's health. So... As a leadership team formed, we came together, and it wasn't just pastors showing up like, hey, I'm the cowboy, and here's what I think we ought to do. It was us coming together as a leadership team and saying, what do we feel God's heart is for us as a church being in the city of Clinton? What do we feel we should do, and what do we feel like we should be? And we really felt God leading us and guiding us in the direction of loving all, impacting our world, and growing together. It involved a lot of work for us to get to the place to just kind of narrow in on those things. But God was leading us in that direction. When we say loving all, we really mean that. We mean it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what your history is. We love you. We want to impact our world. It's easy for you to dial on your phone and give to American Red Cross for a tsunami that's somewhere far flung in the corner of the universe. But is it something where we're impacting our local world? Now, I tell you that because we're not doing the best, but we are trying. This past year has been a year of experimentation, of us moving in the direction that we want to. And as I've said in the last couple weeks, we are entering into a new season as a church. This season requires hard work. Somebody say, yay. All right. But impacting our world requires, good, sign up, talk to me after, whoever shouted yay the loudest. Impacting our world really, really is important. This is what Jesus came to do, and this is what he tasks us to do. And the growing together is really important because there's so many things that would seek to divide, that would seek to be a wall in between us. There are walls that we put up in our own regular everyday life that people put up around them. We feel like, oh, it gives us privacy, it gives us protection. But when it comes to the church, those walls should be down. They should be crumbled. They should be at the feet of Jesus. And everybody should be able to do what we just did a few minutes ago, worship together, no matter what your economic status is, no matter where you came from or where you're going, no matter what your life has been already or what it's going to be, for us to be able to truly grow together is what God wants us to do. So I I give you a little precursor today because it's not really a visionary message. Today is not the state of the church that I talked about a couple weeks ago. It is something for us to understand really the theology of what it means to be the church and how important it is for you to be part of the church. The truth is the church doesn't need you as much as you need the church. It's really true. It's profound. It's really simple. And I don't want it to step on toes. I'm not doing that intentionally. I'm just drawing your attention to the fact that you need community. We need togetherness. 
So loving all, when we say we're a loving church, if it's possible to be exclusively inclusive, that's what we want to be, okay? That's what we're striving to be. Age, skin color, history, prior belief system, it doesn't matter if you're a thug, if you're bipolar, it doesn't matter if you were a prostitute, if you're jobless, if you're homeless, if you work for the government, it doesn't matter what, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you have an anger problem, it doesn't matter if you've got a porn addiction, it doesn't matter if there's chaos in your life, it doesn't matter if you're on your seventh marriage. It doesn't matter if you haven't yet found the one you wish you could marry. It doesn't matter if this is your first day darkening the door of a church. It doesn't matter what your background is. We love you. And so as a result, we say, okay, well, that's all fine and dandy and anybody can say that, (laughs) but walking that out in real life and in real time is a challenge. 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love. And since we are his people, we're called to love. That's why his kids look like him. Your kids look like you. His kids should look like him. And if he is love, then we are to be love. Sometimes, well, let me say this. I think there's a myth that's been going around for quite a few years that church is for church people. And I got to be honest, can I confess something to you this morning? Can, I, can, I, can it be a pastoral confession for a moment? Like I'm stepping into that Catholic confessional booth and just there's a screen between us, but I'm going to share my heart. I love doing church. I just do. I think it's awesome. I grew up in it. I like everything. I like the elements of doing communion. I like the ability of worshiping God. I like all those things. I find comfort in that. But here's the thing. If I am marching in that direction and somebody else isn't, and they're not yet a fan of how we do church or something, I don't want my expression to stop them from coming to God. I want myself to be at the place where I love all, and loving all sometimes means letting down our guard. It also means sometimes doing things that we don't want to do. Some husbands say amen. But anyway... God loves us and we love others. If we are his kids, love must be the driving force behind who we are, what we do, how we do it, when we do it, and why we do it. Love has got to be the driving force. So the challenge is this. If you say, oh, pastor, I got this. Great. I'm going to check out right now because I got this. Love, impact, grow. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to put it on a bumper sticker. That's a great idea. You could do that if you want to. But I want you to just stay focused for just a minute and understand the depth of what that means because there's a challenge every single day of whether or not we will love all. You have a challenge. God in his grace has given you, and you can think of a name right now (laughs) of a person that God has allowed to be in your life that you have given, you've gotten the opportunity to love them, impacting our world. We know that the world is hurting, and as I said, we can give easily to a far-flung place and say, "Here's, here's my $10 or my $100 or here's this fix. But when it comes to Clinton, do we know our neighbors Do we know what they need? See, the the point is, is that Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples and his followers, and this is after he's risen, this is when he's leaving in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he's telling them, I want you to start in this city 
And I want you to go to the next city. It's really elementary. And go to the next city and go to the next. So we are a missions giving church. Every month we give hundreds of dollars. Not near as much as we ought, but we do give to missions who serve here in Mississippi, who serve in the local Jackson area, and who also serve in the far reaches of the world. We believe in that with all of our heart. But when we talk about impacting our world, we've got to recognize that the world starts with our neighbor, with our actual neighbor. <laughs> Somebody with a <clears throat> trouble in their neighborhood said amen really loud. <laughs> Bless you, Brother John. He's got some issues with his neighbors. Not him having, well, never mind, I shouldn't have said that. Anyway, but we understand that the world starts outside of our house. Impacting the world is great, but if our world isn't impacted, it's not going to go very far. So Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, he said, you'll be my witnesses when you receive power from the Holy Spirit that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So by the time Acts chapter 17 occurs in the timeline of history, the followers of Christ are now, they've now come to be known as those who have turned the world upside down. Somebody as an antagonist in the city of Thessalonica, I believe it is, Paul is preaching, people are there, they go in to go find the, the owner of the house who's, you know, allowed these guys to come, you know, and be holed up in there, and he tries to drag them before the city council and says, these are the people who've been turning the world upside down, and I don't want my world to be turned upside down. What can we do? So they find them, and then they paid some money to the Roman government, and they left. But they were known at that point, 17 chapters later, 16 and a half chapters later, as the people who turned the world upside down. The question and the challenge for me is, have I turned my world upside down? I don't need to get on a plane. It'd be awesome. But I don't need to go to a jungle somewhere. I just need to know if I am doing my part in my world and we want to be a church that impacts Clinton. We're striving to do that in the best way that we know how. We want to be known as those who have turned our world upside down. And then growing together. Living things grow. Healthy things grow. Unhealthy things grow as well, but healthy things are the things that we want to grow, okay? We are a big fan around here about making sure that we don't have unhealthy things growing. We don't want you gossiping about each other. We don't want there to be division. We don't want those things to happen. Anytime something comes up, we say, here's the word of God. This is what it says, because we want to this, the word of God, to be our guiding principle for life. It has everything that you need inside of it. It has the answer for literally every challenge that you face. It may not say it exactly, but there are principles that you can pull out of any page of Scripture to live your life by, and I promise you, it will be better. It will be better than you living your life according to your own way. So growing together. There are a lot of places in Scripture in reference about the family of God, the community of faith. Jesus talks about the vineyard where he is the vine and we are the branches. We're the extension of him in the earth. There are many references in the New Testament for the church to do life together. There's a bunch of them, over 30 of them, that are called one another statements. 
Love one another, forgive one another, put up with one another, love one another. I'm sorry. Uh, And there's a lot more of the one another's though. Serve one another, sacrifice for one another. All of these things are so important. It says that the world will know us, not necessarily by our love for the world. Somebody ought to read the Bible. It says they'll know us by our love one for another. Man, that church is a loving church. That church loves, not to the place of being an exclusive club, because that's not what you're signing up for if you're coming back next Sunday. You're not signing up for that. You're signing up to say, I want to be part of a group of people who are looking for their lives to be changed and to change the world. How that plays out on a Monday through Friday, it's, it's a challenge sometimes. But there are many one another's in, scriptural, in Scripture. Numerical and spiritual growth are the benchmarks of a healthy church. That means individual spiritual growth. That means somebody in here who hasn't read the Bible faithfully saying, I was challenged by your message, pastor. I was challenged in our small group. I started reading the scripture more than I ever have before. Numerical growth. That means you inviting your coworker, your friend, the person that you don't like, that you know needs Jesus. If they get Jesus, they might change. This is great. Numerical and spiritual growth are benchmarks of a healthy church. We strive to be a healthy church, but it's a, it's a challenge. It's, it takes hard work, but the hard work is worth it. Amen? So when we're consistently experiencing those things, we could say that we are healthy. Go with me now to Luke chapter 19. You say, when is he going to start preaching? If it's your first time today, I'll tell you, any, ask anybody in here, my messages are usually 10 minutes or less, uh, but I was just waiting for the laughter. <laughs> but they're never more than like an hour and a half, so, you know. No, stick with me. I literally have one passage of scripture I want to share some thoughts from this morning that I really believe, I'm going to tell you this, there are moments in the pastor's life, in the pastor's study, that you are on Wednesday thinking, God, what are you wanting to say to your people? Then there are times that I'm like this, that I have a schedule booked out for a few months in advance. I feel like God's given me direction already. I've got a series lined up for February, for March. I kind of know where God wants to lead us. And then week by week, I'm seeking and I'm searching and I'm saying, God, help me to fulfill what you've already laid on my heart. With all of my heart, I am telling you beyond any shadow of a doubt, this message, this portion of scripture today ministered to me so much this week in ways that I haven't been ministered to before as I've studied for a message. So I want you to really, really soak it in this morning. Not my words, but the words of God. Luke chapter 19, verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus entered and he passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and he said to him, Hey, you little guy in the tree. No, what did he do? He called him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, make haste, because he, he talked like he was in uh, Old English, you know, Britain, uh, Great Britain. Make haste and come down. No, he said, hurry up and get down here, 
For today I must stay at your house. Verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him, being Jesus, joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also... Now, we read sometimes too fast to really understand, but I want you to stop for a second. Verse 9, Jesus is quoted as saying these words. Today, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The, the, the cornerstone of this message today is that as we're believing for greater things in whatever area of our life that God's laid on your heart or that you know is really important, the important thing for us to understand is we need to believe for greater things for our church, for our community of faith. Stick with me and let's review back through the verses and let me give you some context. Verse one, when it says Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, how many of you think that was by happenstance? Jesus was a systematic guy. He's pretty methodical. He's, he's got his plan laid out. He knows where he's headed. He's got a vision and a mission from God, the Father, who sent him here to do this work. So he's on his way somewhere. He's passing through Jericho. Behold, there's a man named Zacchaeus, and it tells us two things about him. Well, three things, because it says he was short, but it says he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. So explaining the context of the day, if you're not familiar with the scripture, if you are, bear with me for a minute. But for those of you who might not be, let me, let me explain you something, okay? So in this time, in this time during Zacchaeus' life, he's a tax collector. He is a Jew. Jesus just called him a son of Abraham. But he is a tax collector, not for a Jewish government, but for the Roman government. So they are basically, you could say, exiled, but they've become governed by the Romans. And in these days and times, they hired the least of the least to say, hey, buddy, you want to collect some money in the town? You go ahead and do it. And they would pocket a lot of that, but they would also get more of it. It was kind of like Johnny Knuckles, if you've ever seen a mob movie, okay? He's knocking on the door asking for payment, okay? This is the kind of guy that Zacchaeus was. People did not like tax collectors. Has anything changed about that? So he was a tax collector and we could say that he was a, I know you're thinking about your taxes, right? Don't. Okay, come back, come back, come back. He was a sellout. He was not sold out. There are people who gave up their fishing job. They gave up their business. They started following Jesus. There are ladies who are walking after him. There are men who are walking after him. There are crowds everywhere who are following Jesus from place to place, trying to serve him, trying to be there. He was not one of those people who was sold out, but he was a sellout. All the people in the community must have thought, man, this guy, he is the least likely to ever want to be part of this Jesus parade that's coming through town. 
Verse 3, it says, He sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. I will not sing the song. But does anybody know the Sunday school song about Zacchaeus was a wee little man? Okay, so stick with me here. He wanted to see who Jesus was. How did he know that Jesus was coming? They didn't have the internet. (laughs) They didn't have an email blast that came on his phone that he could say, oh, Jesus is coming. He's 2.3 miles away. Great, I'm gonna go and be part of the crowd. How did he know Jesus was coming? I'm telling you, this is in the days before newspaper and all this stuff. Here's how he knew Jesus was coming. Someone in his circle was talking about Jesus. Someone who had been part of the crowd at some point, someone who had known him, someone who had given their life, someone who may have become an out spoken person and said, yeah, you know what? I believe he's the Messiah. He's the one who is for us. He's come to save us. Maybe it was one of those crazies that were part of his circle that mentioned, yeah, and I think on September 21st, Jesus is scheduled to have his tour come through our town. So this is how Jesus, this is how Zacchaeus would have known that Jesus was coming. Someone was talking about Jesus in his circle. The problem is this, Jesus' circle wasn't talking about Zacchaeus. That's really what it comes down to. If he was getting pushed and elbowed out, if he was too short to see, and some guy, I mean, you think, you know, some six-foot guy could throw him up there on his shoulder, could do something to make sure that this guy saw, but here's the deal. They were so excited about their Jesus parade, they forgot the only person maybe in the crowd that really was wanting to see him. Do we ever get like that in church? I think we do. I think that's my confession from a few moments ago. I think sometimes I might get so excited about doing church that we forget that church is not really for church people. It's for the broken. Um, Lest we forget, we are broken. God's still fixing us, each one of us. So Jesus' circle wasn't talking about Zacchaeus. So why couldn't Zacchaeus see Jesus? I challenge you to think about it in this way. It's not because it just that one phrase that he was a wee little man or that he was short-statured. There are two phrases there, and one is, it's because of the crowd. He couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. So verse 4 says this, So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. So here's Zacchaeus, even though he can't see through the crowd, he has somehow stood on a step or something. He sees that Jesus is coming up this way through town. He's going to pass this way by this tree. I am going to run up and go get in this tree. Think about the fact that men dressed a little bit differently back then, Justin. (laughs) Okay? They were wearing uh, what we would call today dresses, but as robes, you know, they didn't run because it was undignified. They sure didn't climb trees unless their job called for them to be climbing trees to, you know, cut a coconut or something. They didn't do that because they were wearing dresses. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? So Zacchaeus was doing something that was very undignified, but he was putting forth effort to see Jesus, even if just as a spectator, he wanted to see him. He really does want to see Jesus. I've been challenged recently with conversations with my brother-in-law and sister-in-law who live and minister. Uh, They're starting a church. They're planting a church in Denver. I've been challenged 
as a result of conversations with them. And their, their living principle every day is people are looking for Jesus and it's my job to help them see Jesus. Because I think somehow we've gotten off the mark and we think, no, nobody's really interested. Last time I said anything besides God bless you. Somebody said, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. Listen, atheists need Jesus. The person that you're thinking of that you work with or somebody related to you that's in your family, they need Jesus. Listen to what happens in verse 5. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he saw him. And he called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, get down here. Today I'm going to your house. We could say that everybody there in this Jesus parade wanted to be seen by Jesus. I can imagine a Jewish mother getting the girls and the boys up in the morning, all four of them, and saying, hey, let's get you guys dressed, and I'm telling you what, when Jesus passes by, you better be on your best behavior, because I've heard he comes to houses, and if he comes to my house today, it is clean, it is ready, I've got roast cooking, I've got this, I've got that, whatever it might be, I can imagine that everyone there was trying to be seen Jesus. Have you thought about it in this way before? Think about it in this way that everybody who was part of that Jesus parade wanted to be seen by him. And there was one guy who was hoping not to be seen by him. He's hiding in a tree. He wants to see Jesus, but he's not really sure. He hasn't really stepped in into all of the fullness of what that faith might look like. So he doesn't want to be seen by Jesus, but to see Jesus. Verse 6 says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. It's talking about, just to give you the understanding, Zacchaeus came down and received Jesus joyfully. What would that look like? What would that look like? What kind of joy would have been expressed in that moment of me? You're telling, you want to come to my house? This is awesome. To everybody else, right? No, he probably didn't do that. But he came down and he was really joyful and he received Jesus Verse 7, it says, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Some versions of the Bible say muttered or murmured. They complained. Wait a second. I cooked this morning. I was up at the crack of dawn. I've got my kids ready. My house is the house you ought to be coming to. They saw it and they complained and they said he's the guy who's going to go to the sinner's house. That jerk is the guy who robs everybody. Doesn't Jesus know that? They'd done worse things, but they just weren't thinking about those things in those moments. They were thinking because of the clothes they wore, because of their location of their house, or because of the job they held, or whatever other thing that they thought was affirmative in the direction of being able to draw Jesus' attention to them. They thought it would work, and yet he's going to the house of a sinner. You know what? Jesus got in trouble with church people his whole ministry. Careful saying amen so loud. You're church. You're church folk. But when they saw it, they complained. He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. Are you glad that he was the guy who went to be a guest of a sinner? I'm glad. I'm glad because I wouldn't be here if he hadn't. So the Jesus parade people got in the way. Now they were mad at Jesus that he was doing what he says his mission in life is to do. 
So Zacchaeus stood, verse 8 says this, and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, I give all of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. I can imagine somebody in the crowd being like, yes, I'm getting taxes back. This is awesome. I know you've done a little dance or a jig in your own house when you're like, hit the button, and you're like, whoa, this is great. Some versions put it in the present tense of his, his statement, and some versions say, I will. I will give back. I love how he says, even in this moment of trying to stretch in faith, he says, and if, I mean, it's a big if, but if I've stolen anything, not, you know, if I've, then I'll give it back fourfold. But I want you, I'm telling you, sometimes we read scripture too quickly and we don't understand the point. There are Pharisees in that crowd that day who are very keen on making sure that they do what you just did a few minutes ago in giving 10% of their income to God. They even go so far as to putting their spices in certain places and cutting it out and saying, okay, this 10% goes to the temple. This 10% of the, I mean, they had gone, I mean, every jot and tittle of the law, they had done 10%. And here's this little guy saying, I'll give back half. They must have been stunned in that moment. And they might have been critically thinking, I can't wait to see that (laughs) because some of that is going to come back to me. But then go further to the other portion that he says. He says, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, this is the New King James Version in case you were wondering, but the verse should be on the screen in verse 8. I'll restore fourfold. So any hardline Jew would have known that paying back double of anything that was taken wrongfully was the right thing to do and would have been sufficient. If my son took something from the marketplace, then I need to go back and I need to pay back double. But Zacchaeus steps out even further and says, I'll pay back four times. I'll do double my duty. Can somebody see his life is changing in this moment? This, this guy is coming to, he's seen Jesus. Jesus has seen him. They're starting to have this conversation. And in the moment of the first encounter with God, his life begins to be altered and changed. When's the last time that we allowed the Lord to change us in an area of our life that he wants to, instead of just the needs that we list before him in prayer? When's the last time we took a moment to just shut up and listen to what he wants to speak to us. Hope that doesn't offend you to say shut up. My girls would say, daddy said a bad word. Verse nine says this, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. These are not Jesus's thoughts. These are Jesus's words out loud in the Jesus parade crowd. And he says, it's come, salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. What a slap in the face to those who would have been there who said, wait a second, how can you consider this guy a son of Abraham? He's, he's cheating his own people. He's not living a court. How can you do that just like that? You say he gets this and we don't? What is going on? He's a sellout. He's robbed me and my family. He's working for the enemy. He's no son of Abraham. I am. Me and my kids, we are. That guy doesn't deserve it. So verse 10, Jesus continuing to speak says this about himself to those that were present and listening that day. 
My job, the Son of Man, he calls himself, has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus was lost. He needed to be found. He was hiding and looking from afar, but Jesus found him and he called him by name. If you haven't heard the creator of the universe call you by name, he is. If you're far from him, and even if you're close to him, he uses your name. He knows your name. Psalm 139 says he knew you before you ever even got here. I said to my girls, do you know where you were before you came to mommy and daddy? No, where? You were in heaven. God sent you as a gift to us. God knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. Every one of you have been formed in your mother's womb. That's how you're here today. Jesus knows us and calls us by name. Let me point out a couple things as we start drawing to a close. Sometimes the biggest obstacle to someone seeing Jesus are the already convinced people who are in the crowd. This makes me really sad, and I don't want, I really don't want you to misunderstand this. It's not my intention to step on somebody's toes. I'm not telling you that Jesus doesn't love you. I'm just telling you that he wants a bigger family than what he's got, and we shouldn't hold that up. We shouldn't be the hurdle that people have to get over in order to come to him. Are you getting this this morning? Church is not for church people, and this is a myth. I would go so far as to say I believe it's a lie from hell. It's a lie that we've believed. It's the propaganda of the enemy that would cause us to try to be inward focused rather than externally focused. I would love if we didn't have a wall in the front so it was more open so you could come in. You don't want that today because it's cold outside. But I'm just saying the point is well taken that we are to be looking outside of ourselves. We're to be serving others, not ourselves. We're to be worshiping the God who made them. I love what I saw. Yesterday I went to a gun show. There was this kid walking around, teenage kid, and he had this t-shirt on it and it said, love thy neighbor. And it had like 20 things listed. It said, love thy atheist neighbor. Love thy gay neighbor. Love thy hateful neighbor. Love thy ugly neighbor. Love thy, I mean, there were like 20 things there that, that it was just the point was loving your neighbor is harder than it sounds. For some of us, most of us, I would say. But our church has great potential for growth in this area. In all areas, really. Because we're a revitalized church, because we're marching towards health, there's much more room in the house to be filled. The seats look good this morning, but we've got more seats we can bring in for your friends, for your relatives who come. Why couldn't Zacchaeus see Jesus? It's not because he was short, as much as it was because of the crowd who prevented him from seeing Jesus. So the problem is not that Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus. The real problem is that the crowd didn't see Zacchaeus. So here in the story of Zacchaeus, where can we find ourselves? There's a few characters that are in the story. We've talked about Zacchaeus. We've talked about Jesus. We've talked about the crowd, right? So where do, where do, where do you fit in to this story? Maybe today it's you and you're here for the first time or maybe you've been here for a while and you're Zacchaeus. You've been looking in from the outside, but you really do want to commit. You want to see what this life change is all about. Maybe, maybe he can change your life like you've heard he does. Maybe that's somebody here today. 
Maybe some of us as the church crowd might be part of the obnoxious noise that keep others from hearing or seeing Jesus or getting to him. I can assure you something. (laughs) If you say, well, I'm not part of that religious crowd, and I'm definitely not Zacchaeus. The only other guy in that story is Jesus, and you ain't him. Okay? Right? But there's another character in the story, and I don't think that we've talked about that character. It may just be me, and it might be an inanimate object, but I think there's one other character in the story. I believe that we and our church can be the tree that Zacchaeus climbed in order to get a view of what it's like to have this God thing, to have this relationship with Jesus, to walk in faith and in life and in hope and in love. I think the tree played a huge part in the story of Zacchaeus. And you may think I'm going too far with this, but I I really think that it's significant that you understand hundreds of years before that, a seed fell in the ground in that place. I could just imagine taking some liberty. I don't think that God cares about every single tree in this particular way. But just imagine, if you will, God saying to the angels, "That, that seed that fell there, that tree someday is going to help someone see my son. And I feel like that's important for us as a church because there's a, there's a part of us that would say, you know what, we're not that significant. When people say, what size church are you? I say, we're a micro church. Micro means many. We're small. We're growing. We're growing healthy, and that's great. We're not a mega church. I don't know that God's ever called us to do that. And I'm not saying this for selfish reasons. I'm saying this because the world needs hope. The people that you have in your circle, in Zacchaeus's circle, they need hope. Every Zacchaeus in your life needs hope. But I can imagine God saying, that seed that's going to fall in that place is going to grow a tree. It may feel insignificant. There may be storms that challenge the growth of that tree. There may be things that come against it in its 43-year history. That's our church's history. But one day, one day, that tree is going to be the thing that leads others to help them see who I really am. Would you stand with me? today what if god didn't make a mistake what if god really did plant that tree on purpose what if we are that tree and he planted us here what if it's not by coincidence or just by your choice that you arrived here today but by god's perfect design what if he knew what would happen in the life of his church over all of these years He knew the hardships and the storms that would seek to break the tree's resolve, but he knew the potential impact that the tree could have. I believe he does know. I believe that greater things lie ahead for our church. And I want to say this to you very clearly today, even if you're not part of our church. I believe with all of my heart that greater things are in store for those who love God because he always wants to be growing us. He always wants to be helping us improve in our lives. Would you close your eyes with me and just bow your heads? I want to read this verse of scripture and I want you to pray with me today. John chapter 15 verse 16 says this, Jesus' own words, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. 
He uses that agricultural context that they lived in to be able to put the point across to them, and it still bears weight today that he didn't, he, he, it's not because we chose him, but because he chose us and he appointed us to be trees, each one of us individually, to bear much fruit for his kingdom. I want to ask you those questions. Are you Zacchaeus? If you're in this room today, I, we take this opportunity from time to time, but I do not want to miss this today. If you say, yes, I am that guy who's been looking from the outside in. I am that lady, and I need to know Jesus. I want to know him today. Just slip up your hand right where you are. Anybody in this room, this is a place for us to do it today, is to say, I want to decide to follow Jesus. It's, it's an easy thing to make the decision. It's harder to live it and walk it out, but God will give you grace to be able to do it. If there's anybody in this room, slip up your hand quickly and back down and let me know that you're here. With no Zacchaeuses being in the room by their hands being raised, are you part of the church crowd? Maybe that's you and you say, yeah, I'm challenged by that thought today. Maybe I've been doing things or acting a certain way or, or being this way and I've prevented other people, maybe even unknowingly, But would you say this morning, God, help me not be part of those Jesus parade people? If that's you, just lift your hand up. You say, God, help me to not be part of that group. Put it down. And lastly, the question is, do you want to be the tree? Maybe maybe you're challenged. Maybe you don't know how to say it right, how to say the right words, how to lead someone to Christ, how to be able to tell them all, all about their sin and confession and all this kind of stuff. But you say, God, I really want to be a healthy tree as an individual and as part of a healthy tree, which is this church. Would you slip your hand up and just say, yes, that's me. Lord, I pray over these people. I pray in the name of Jesus that the hands that went up were were there because of sincere hearts. God, my desire, you know my heart, you know our hearts in this room, you know those who have been with this church for a long time, you know those who have showed up today. God, you've known us all before we were even born and in this moment, we're declaring, God, that we still need your help. That we need your help not to become the church crowd, the Jesus parade people that keep others from coming to you. And God, would you help us to be the tree that you've called us to be, that we would be that thing, standing the test of time, not because of our own strength, but because of your grace and your strength in us. Help us as a church to be the tree that you want us to be, God. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you help us not to view ourselves as insignificant because the person who mentioned Jesus' name in Zacchaeus' circle is one of the most significant people in the story and he doesn't even have a name. God, I pray you'd help us to be those people. Lord, I pray you'd bless our people as we leave today, as we go home, as we rest, as we go about our week. Lord, I pray that you would bless your people, watch over them and protect them and keep them. And Lord, I pray that you would bring us back safely together for our night of worship tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. God bless you and thank you for being here today.